Welcome to the BadgeCast One podcast with your host, Brian Ellis, a 20-plus year veteran police leader who's dedicated to helping police officers be their highest and best. Our show aims to dive deep to deliver leadership strategies of top experts to turbocharge public safety leadership. This podcast is brought to you by the National Command and Staff College. To find out more about our team, please visit us at www.commandcollege.org. The National Command and Staff College is passionate about enhancing your leadership capabilities and building the best version of you. Welcome to the first episode of the National Command and Staff College's BadgeCast One podcast. I'm here today with president and founder of the college, Dr. Mitch Javidi. Mitch, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Brian. It's an honor to be on this call with you. So we've got a lot of content today. I I really want to dive straight into the history of the National Command and Staff College and what brought you specifically to public safety. I know about 10 years ago, your career path intersected with law enforcement. And can you just tell me what happened? Yeah, Brian, thank you so much. Like I said, it's truly an honor to be on this call. And I'm really, really excited about the launch of BatchCast One. And more importantly, I'm privileged to be the first that you interview. Yeah, but it wasn't about back in 2006, which would have been like 14 years ago, um, I had the opportunity to sell two of my businesses that I had started building starting 1997 side by side as I was a professor at North Carolina State University. With support from the university that I can start up these two companies and grow them, uh, it came 2006 and I had an opportunity for an exit with those two, two companies that I had. One of them was a global consulting company called Digiton Corporation. And the, and the purchaser of the company as part of our agreement was that I will stay with the, both companies for about three years, merge them together and take them global. So we went between 2016, I mean, 2006 and 2009, we basically went on a rodeo of three years of turning Digicon as an American North Carolina based company to a global company setting up operations in in Europe, in Dubai, and and in the Far East. So I did that for about three years. And when the time came, uh, I had the opportunity to meet my requirements of the contract and step out. And as I stepped out, it was also a time for me to perhaps consider taking an early retirement uh, from uh, 25 years of university teaching. So, so I did that, but then, you know, I started thinking about what is it that I can do next? You know, I have lived a good life. God has been good to me and my family. I have had a great career uh, as an academician, great career in consulting business and technology business, but side by side, I had a, also a great career being a civilian instructor to the U.S. Army Special Operations Command and the Joint Special Operations Command since 1987. Uh, I felt that it is time for me to 
find a way of giving back and how do we give back and how do we uh, build a legacy that goes beyond just a career and so knowing a few of my own graduate students who were FBI and A grads and they were they have had a successful career in law enforcement and public safety um, I was approached by them to see what we can do for public safety how can we give back and and basically help strengthen or turbocharge both personal and professional leadership capacity in public safety. In doing that, can we also help building resiliency within public safety that is also encompasses long-term well-being? Uh, I found the conversation pretty exciting because I've not only been teaching uh, leadership in the College of Management at North Carolina State University. I had built sold two companies and I have been teaching for the military for nearly 25 years. And given that public safety and law enforcement are a paramilitary organization, I felt that uh, I can resonate with the life they have. And so what I did, I took about six months and traveled around the country and met with many sheriffs, many chiefs, many fire chiefs, uh, many mayors around the country and many secretaries of DPS and corrections around the country to see what is that they need or what is, what is, what is missing. And one, a pattern that I found that Law enforcement does a lot of training on all a skilled basis, which is very, very important, how to make an arrest, how to investigate, how to do forensic. But one thing that was missing was that they are not spending enough time building leadership, leadership capacity bottom up. So they teach a lot of skills resiliency but skill resiliency by itself is not good enough and it's not combined with building positive psychological resiliency as well. You know, the Army War College, sometime, sometime in the past, they came up with an acronym and they call it VUCA, V-U-C-A. Simply, VUCA represents complexity. With that, I mean when you are in a situation where multiple key decision factors must be considered. So C stands for complexity of the VUCA. V stands for volatility of the VUCA when there is a rate of change. U for stands for uncertainty where one is unclear about the present. And then of course, A stands for ambiguity but it represents lack of clarity about meaning or, or, or an event. So, so really the term VUCA not only applies to law enforcement and military, but applies to everyday life. I think every day in our life, we deal with VUCA. And I felt like uh, when, that VUCA, when that VUCA happens and you find as a leader, you find yourself 
in that VUCA environment, it has a direct impact on your leadership capacity and it has a direct impact on your well-being and on your resiliency. So I felt like, wow, this may be an opportunity for me that I can bring a group of good people in academia, in military, in corporate America, uh, bring them together and law enforcement, of course, and public safety to see how we can try to help public safety by bringing some scientific-based knowledge that we have and we have developed in, in building leadership capacity and in the long run, build the resiliency and well-being of the public safety. So it started really with a vision and a desire to give back, which we started in 2010. Yeah, and anybody that spent any time around you can really get a feel that your that character counts with you. That uh, not only having a positive outlook on on what you're dealing with at in the moment, but but really character is that foundation that 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 helps build your ability to do anything. And so. Early on, I, I know you, you started weaving into public safety and, and, and training them, and you formed your first company, the International Academy of Public Safety. What did that kind of look like in the very beginning? I mean, were you just, were you focused in on a, a particular region? Were you uh, uh, looking at uh, various competencies, or were you just kind of just delivering, and you had, did you have one deliverable at that time? You know, Brian, uh, you know, as I've got older through all my careers with the with, uh, good, bad, and ugly, I have realized that uh, one key element of being a great leader is to not only know what you are good at, but also recognize your own weaknesses. And then while you maximize your strength, you're trying to help reduce your weaknesses, and in doing that, you must obviously recognize that at the end of the day, everything about leadership is about delivering results with confidence. Think about it, four simple words, delivering results with confidence. Uh, I have interviewed a lot of people in my lifetime. I have seen some great leaders, but in the process, I've also seen some very toxic leaders, no matter what career we have, no matter, you know, uh, which domain that we have, leadership is about delivering results with confidence. Now, leadership doesn't have to always be only about a career, leadership as home, uh, being a father, being a mother, being a son, being a member of the community, we require leadership in every situation, Leadership is about delivering results with confidence. In doing that, I think you got to pick up your domains, what you are good at. So when I started the business in 2010, I knew that I can go reach out and found great leaders like you with experience in law enforcement that can teach tactical uh, policing. You, I can, you all can teach SWAT training. You can teach how to do you know, forensic 
But what I wanted to really focus on are what I believe that we are good at and, and law enforcement and public safety needs it, and that's leadership. So, so given that I have academic background and also I had, as a civilian, I had military background, the word academy meant to me a lot. Because when you think in terms of academy, you are focused on education, not training. Uh, public safety, like many other industries, provide a lot of trainings. And the trainings are a 30 minute here, one hour there, two hours there. And then I have been in a lot of trainings that I walked away, I have a certificate to show, but a week later I forgot about it. I was interested in building a company that is focused on educational education and development from pre-hire to a career to a post-retirement that 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 we could be part of the puzzle that can help public safety and beyond in getting them not only equipped with the tools of personal and professional leadership pre-hire but then throughout their career but also the post-retirement. International to me was very, very important because I didn't want us to be just a US-based company providing leadership training only to public safety and beyond in America, but I wanted to be international. So International Academy of Public Safety was had a good, good sound to it. So that's what we started with that. And the focus was that we're gonna stay in our own swim lane. I did not wanna do any tactical training. And if you're gonna do any tactical training outside of leadership, it needs to be in partnership with those who are good at it, like National Tactical Officers Association or International Association of Chief of Polices or the uh, National Sheriff's Association. So, so to get it started, it was like, let's build the soup to nuts of our own recipe of building the white belt to the black belt of, of character-based uh, leadership development that is based on credibility. And it's based on the fun uh, idea that leadership must be deliberate. To me, if leadership is not intentional, then it is not leadership. It's not an adjective, it's a verb. You gotta work it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said build because as I sit here and look at what National Command and Staff College has done uh, in, in just over a decade, it's 16 plus million learning hours. Uh, it's an international company. It's partnering with several professional law enforcement agent uh, organizations like NTOA and, and uh, the, the Sheriff's Associ National Sheriff's Association. There's 47 book projects, 60 plus chapter contributions, 145 articles uh, published over the last decade. I mean, where does your team get this kind of energy from? You know, um one of the, it is so fascinating when I look at those numbers, it's not that I don't believe them, I actually believe them. Uh, but, but 
being a humble person that I am, particularly at my older age, you know, I say, wow, not that I'm surprised. I say, wow, because I'm happy because I actually believe it. I think, I think the reason is we are very, very selective who we want to be a part of our team. You know, early on in my career as a civilian working with the military, I realized that there are three types of performers, or actually there are four. One performer is a non-performer. They don't perform at all. The second is a performer. The third is a, a star performer, but there is a fourth one. The fourth one is the one that has the capacity to go beyond. We call them a turbocharged a star performer. Now, I am all about helping produce turbocharged star performers. So the credit that you are attributing to the National Command and Staff College, I don't deserve. I didn't do it. All those accomplishments are accomplishment of turbocharged star performers like yourself who chose to be part of our team. And with those people, they go beyond. I mean, we've trained over 16 million hours online. That does not in, even include the number of hours we are teaching in the classroom. If you put what we also teach in the classroom, I guarantee you we are over 20 million hours of training in 10 years. That's an average of 2 million hours. You know, and part of that is that where that turbocharged star performers come in is not any different than a Navy SEALs team. A Navy SEALs team or unit is not 200 people. It's not 300 people. We are a handful but those handful have the capacity to deliver results at 10X and 20X. And that is a mindset that we have. And that's a mindset and the discipline and the spirit, the core we bring to the National Command and the Staff College and helping our students to develop that spirit, the core. And that is how do they on a daily basis, every day they're turbocharged at a star performance one one mile a day and then over 10 years they become a marathon runner and go beyond yeah i know i can say with my for myself uh, when i when i've seen and what i've experienced the the amount of energy that uh, your team has is 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 infectious and and it really comes from a place of love and so i it's and it's an, it's just incredible to be a part of whether it's in a in just in a classroom setting or actively working on a particular project, and I'm incredibly grateful and blessed uh, to, to 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 have the opportunity to do so. But I really wanted to pivot real quick to. We talked about it just a, a, a little bit ago. 2016, you really started seeing the 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 opportunity to to build. Uh, IAPS into the National Command and Staff College. Can you can you flesh that out a little bit for us and, and just tell us what that meant to you and 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 why that was a decision, uh, your decision to do so? You know, it was not a decision in 2016. It was a part of our journey. So so to me, leadership requires people having the not only the courage 
but the vision of the future. But with an understanding that as they envision the future and they have a strategic intent around a strategic plan to build, uh, you know, what their desires are, they have the flexibility to make adjustments. In 2010, we sat around the table and we said, we want to build International Academy of Public Safety. Uh, we had the envision to recognize that public safety to this date teaches, you know, more in the classroom. Nobody 2010, 2009 was talking about training online. So our first pivot was in 2010 was that build International Academy of Public Safety and start building all e-learning courses. So that has proved to be a good investment because think about it right now, we have had a lot of phone calls in the last eight weeks with the COVID-19 where social distances is encouraged. Guess what? Training is not going to stop. People got to now train online and we are there. We envisioned it 10 years ago. As part of that envisioning, I knew that if we built our e-learning part of our business and then build trusting relationship with our clients, the next thing they're going to ask us is that why can you not have a follow-up to it in the classroom? So when I looked at public safety at the time, I knew that FBI National Academy is doing exceptional training in building leadership capacity. I knew Northwestern University has a great command and a staff program. I knew Southern Policing is doing the same, but I knew there is an opportunity for another group could, like us could come in and complement with those internationally recognized programs but I knew that we need time. So between 2010 and 2016, we built the infrastructure on the learning management system, the technology, the servers. We built over, at the time, 187 hours of e-learning courses. And we knew that the courses gotta be academic to a point universities would actually give would give undergraduate and graduate level college transfer for our courses. So by 2016, not only we did that, but now we had not only have clients, but we have built relationship with internationally or nationally recognized association like national sheriff's associations, like national tactical officers associations, or the national Hispanic police chiefs associations or international association of training standards like IADALIST, where not only they recognize and endorse our programs, but they want to be part of this partnership of about giving back to their members. That combined with state association relationships we have built like California Peace Officers Associations or Minnesota Sheriff's Association, etc. it was the right timing to say, okay, now we're going to go from shift four on my 9-11 to shift seven of 9-11. Although people, they say you cannot do that because 
there are only four shifts in your sport car, I would say, no, there are more psychologically. Let's go there. So it was basically for us a natural next step as part of our evolution in 2016 to say, now we are the national command and staff college. And by doing that, the last four years has been just an amazing journey for us. And in that journey now, we have secured college transfer accreditation recommendation by the American Council on College Education, which makes recommendation for our diverse courses that we have for college transfer recommendation, upper division, undergraduate level, but also uh, graduate level college transfer. In doing that, we have also evolved and we are now working with Canadian law enforcement through CPCAN that our programs are adopted there in full support of, uh, of the law enforcement in Canada and now most recently in partnership with the National Tactical Officers Association, our programs are accepted to be, to be a part of leadership development in Middle East um, as a point of contact with Dubai Police Department. So it has been an evolutionary stages, but very, very natural one. So I feel like this, the goals that we, had, we set for ourselves that we will do in 10 years, uh, we've done it in 10 years. We had to pivot here and there to make adjustments and to meet the needs of our clients. And now we are in our next decade of journey. We have already envisioned, God willing, what the next 10 years is going to look like. That's amazing. I mean, I, the, the the term that keeps going through my head as you're as you're talking about that is delivering results with confidence. So um, that in itself is 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 leadership. And I'm I'm glad you pointed to a couple things out because, uh, I mean, I've been in public safety for over 20 years, and you know there isn't just a there 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 is a very limited amount of opportunities to to build your leadership capacity. And it's most often available just to uh, executives or, or, or managers with, within the organization. And there's just not a whole lot for the line level, which, you know, I know you're a big firm believer in uh, every officer is a leader concept, but why is leadership so important for public safety? It is extremely important. You know, let me just backtrack, you know, like in many industries, including public safety, you know, a percentage of the players in those industries really confuse supervision and management and leadership. So when you typically ask them define leadership, they define a supervisor or they tie it to a role. For me, leadership is, 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 is very, very broad. You know, honestly, some of the great lessons I have learned about leadership was from the gentleman who emptied our trash can and mopped our floor at North Carolina State University College of Management. And, and when you ask him to describe himself, he never described his 
his job title. He, would say, he wouldn't say, I am just a custodian here mopping floor. He would describe himself as a leader and he would take pride in it. So, so I think that mindset and that uh, developing that mindset is very, very important. So if you think about ranks, very a small portion of a large police department or a, or a large sheriff's office is a, is a command and a staff. I mean, when you think about an agency with 4,500 employees, there is a chance that about five or 600 of them are at a command level. The rest of them are, are not even first line supervisors. But truly, truly what holds that agency together is a combination of all of them. I use a term that is called keystone. In teaching leadership, I ask who is the keystone of your agency and your company? Nearly 90% of the response is, it is the sheriff, it is the CEO, it is the chief of the police, it was the president, or it's the governor. But in reality, the answer I'm looking for to say, I am and we are. And I think that is very, very important because if we could embed that, then everybody look at themselves as a leader who is a keystone of their agency, we have the foundation of a building. And I believe you agree with me that if you and I were gonna build a home, we would really pay a lot of attention to the foundation before we build anything else on it. So to me, having a fundamental understanding of what leadership is, is based on that foundation. Is a, a, it has a lot to do with the character. It has a lot to do with how you see yourself and how you fit in that organization. And if we could do that and we can build that spirit to call and make that to be a culture of what I call accountability and anti-fragility, then liabilities go down, risks will go down, uh, satisfaction increase, productivity increase, and that's how we build what I call a start performing organizations or agencies. It's fascinating. And I know in just spending some time with you, uh, yes, leadership is important, but uh, you, you really talk about being deliberate in leadership. And I know a while back you co-authored a book with Ken Kais called Deliberate Leadership, Creating Success Through Personal Style. And, you know, it's, it's just the, those intentional actions uh, and just being deliberate with that leadership philosophy. I mean, can you, can you tell us what you mean by that? And yeah, I have always argued, Brian, that leadership is a verb, right? And when something becomes a verb, it requires action. You do it. Now, you can have a skills to do it. You could have college education to do it. But then you also learn as you go. And in that process of that leadership journey, and it is truly a journey, 
you're gonna learn from your your mistakes by doing it. If you don't do it, you won't learn the mistake, and you continuously become fragile. You know. So 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 therefore, if you do it, it must be intentional. However, intentionality needs to also break down. I can be intentionally a bad leader or I can be non-intentionally a bad leader because I don't pay attention or I could be naturally and intentionally be a good leader. So the first step is the intentionality. You got to do it. The second part of it is that you have to take ownership in doing it. You know, I know you're going to be interviewing uh, Michael Abershoff as one of your follow-up podcasts to this interview. And Michael Abershoff's book, the two of his books, in fact, he's written multiple, but in his two books, uh, It's Your Ship and It Is Our Ship, he naturally talks about intentionality of doing good leadership. So when he became the captain of the worst Navy ship, in our nation, he intentionally wanted to put processes, procedures, and engagement and empowerment of the organizations or the members in, the, in, in, in his ship to become intentional consciously and unconsciously in a good way to move the needle to results with confidence. And they became the best ships and then every side of our branches including corporate america learn from michael abershaw so intentionality is part of that culture of building accountability and most importantly anti-fragility remember anti-fragile individuals learn by doing it and making mistakes if they don't miss then they don't make mistakes then they will continue being a fragile system so that intentionality is very very important great stuff i thank you for sharing that i also know that um, one of the ways that you build that deliberate leadership is through your magnus leadership philosophy um, you've done a, several trainings throughout the country your your magnus leadership training and i've personally sought firsthand with several students after the fact just having these these epiphanies, uh, whether they were in class and sidebar would, would come up to you and talk to you or, or write it in their evals about how you, you've impacted them personally and professionally. You know, some people even said, you just saved my marriage. It was, it was so impactful to, to, to see. And so can you explain why, why Magnus has been so exciting for people to, to, be, to participate? You know, the, 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 the science of Magnus is very, very fascinating, you know. Uh, in fact, in fact, you know, uh, the word Magnus is in the dictionary. But then dictionary defines Magnus as great. But Magnus is more than a great, is when the great becomes Magnus. So, so Jim Collins wrote a great book called Good to Great. So perfect, has made significant contributions worldwide. So when a person becomes great, what then? What does great become? Well, the great has to go to a higher level. So when a great becomes more, what do we call it? We don't have a name for it. 
So but Aristotle had a great name for it. Aristotle wrote a book called The Magnanimous Men. So the word Magnus was actually the first four letters of the magnanimous men and the last two letters of the magnanimous men. Why men meant everyone. But it's more than just Aristotle's work. Uh, Aristotle's work in the, in the chapter on magnanimous men was about when an individual goes beyond all capacity, raises the bar. Now in order for you to raise that bar, you cannot only learn to be hardy in your physics, in your body. Well, it's not good enough to have a stronger muscles. It's not good enough to have a stronger legs. You must have to grow spiritually and uh, uh, become emotionally intelligent. So if you study the theories on leadership, you will come to a conclusion that nearly 90% of all leadership theories have looked at leadership from a point of an influence. Well, when you focus on the, on the influence that you are focusing on the mind and the cognition. Well, to me, it's easier to study the mind and the cognition is because you are studying in a certain way what that cognition has learned, what that brain has learned. Then the other 10% of leadership theories have focused on motivations and emotions. Well, then why are we only focusing on 10% of the theories? Because it is hard to study. It is very, very difficult to study. However, we have learned through the studies in industrial psych or human psychology that, that you know, there is this paradigm that even in psychology, the challenge has been that we are keep studying cognitions and behavior, but we are not studying what is called as meta-motivation or emotional intelligence. So making the story short, Magnus Leadership is about teaching you the psychological techniques that you can learn to retrain the neuroplasticity of your brain. Let me explain. Neuroplasticity is where we know the brain learns from the habits that they have had. So if you think about military and law enforcement or they go, they deal with high VUCA environments or a life of a supply chain manager who is dealing with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity day in, day out, very similar to law enforcement, very similar to military, very similar to healthcare. Can you imagine a life of a, of a nurse or a doctor in an emergency room? What happens? The neuroplasticity of the brain starts getting used to those stressors. But if they have not trained their emotional side, then how do they guard against it? As stress goes up, cortisol gets produced. Now, when you find yourself in a VUCA situation, not only there is a chance you could make mistake, but over time, you do not build 
your psychological resiliency or your well-being and your wellness resiliency. You start noticing that you have made mistake in early 40s, you're gonna develop pre-diabetes and, and et cetera. So Magnus leadership is about teaching you the psychology of human science that is not being taught in current leadership lessons. So it is a combination of the science and the research that myself and my colleagues over the years have been developing, uh, including the work of a uh, well-known um, uh, psychologist called Dr. Michael Apter, a very well-known uh, counselor, uh, clinical psychologist, Dr. Bryce Kay, and some of the work we've done to for the military to basically say, how do we prepare our soldiers to become hardy, not only with their skills, not only with the policies and the techniques we teach them, not only how they become physically hardy, but how do they become psychologically and emotionally hardy? So, so to create that convergence in order to build a maximized capacity, not only for leadership and well-being and also resiliency. So my, my intent with training that course was never designed to save marriages because I'm not a marriage counselor. I am not a clinician. It was not design, designed to save lives was designed to teach them how they can turbocharge leadership capacity, resiliency, and well-being. But I find it fascinating that after class, when they learn those techniques, they come to me, they write me letters, and they say, you saved our life. You didn't even know you were doing that. You saved my marriage. You saved my relationship with my children or with my spouse. And to me, that's that's really rewarding to me. So Magnus leadership is really how to create that convergence by helping you to learn not only beyond your skills of what you know, but you recognizing that what is that you don't know that you do not know. Uh, what are your cognitive biases and how do we teach you that you can self-administer retraining the neuroplasticity of your brain so your brain brain can learn how to build new habits how to build um, new ways of doing things where you can become more of an authentic leader and in one situation you can deliberately act this way in another situation you can deliberately act in a different way so you can zigzag between those two or three different leadership types. Yeah, and I found it so provocative to think that at a biological level that you have the ability to uh, pivot and, and really adapt to your environment, uh, both positive and negatively, depending on the way that you uh, identify and, and know your saboteurs and the triggers that you have and some other options or, or, or various responses that you, you, you get in your toolkit throughout that training 
to help you maneuver some of those rough waters and ultimately come out the other side unscathed. And, and that's, you could apply that to not only professional life. I mean, that's going to happen, not getting a promotion, uh, not delivering the best service uh, in, in, in the moment, uh, losing a court case, you know, whatever it may be, but you have some of those same things happen to you at home. Um, and so I think it is, it's, it's very impactful. It's tools that you can use in every aspect of your life that makes it, makes it totally awesome. Brian, if you, if you follow, I know you follow Jocko. Jocko has a great podcast and he was the, he was the team leader of the best ever, most accomplished Navy SEALs team we've ever had in this country. In one of his, his podcasts, he talks about how he learned to say good to bad, right? To a point yeah, that he learned, ones. yeah, he basically learned to not only understand that he could say good to bad, but he actually feel good about it. Now, if you study, really take a deep dive from a Magnus leadership uh, science approach, is because he had learned that each time he says bad to bad, what he's really activating is what we call the negative brain. When the negative brain is up, you will have a sense of shame, guilt, regret, and disappointment. So he had to learn to say good to bad, not that means that the bad is a good thing, but he wanted to activate his, his positive psychology where although we didn't get the mission, mission got canceled, we didn't get our raises. He wanted to activate the positive brain because when the positive brain is activated, now you think wise, now you think creative, etc. So in doing that, when the negative brain is up, what do you think your body is going to produce? The amygdala of your brain is going to send a signal to the body that, hey, you are a stress, you need to produce cortisol. And he didn't want it. Jacob said, I don't want cortisol. What I want, I want to activate my body to produce oxytocin. So good to bad for him to become a reversal. So he had retrained the neuroplasticity of his brain that although amygdala is going to send a signal that, oh, bad thing happened, what you need to do, you need to produce cortisol. It will say, no, my body's already producing too much cortisol. What I want my body to produce is oxytocin and or vasopressin, where now I get, I get that soft but very, very important social bonding hormones is produced in my body. Because when I'm producing too much cortisol, the chances are I'm going to shut down the chances are I'm not going to have conversation with people. The chances are over time and over a career, I'm going to build these scars and stressors on my psychology that is going to affect my well-being. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, let's shift. Um, I know public safety organizations, I mean, government in general, we typically have a do more with less philosophy. I mean, uh, obviously trying to stretch every opportunity that we can to, to, to deliver with, with challenged budgets and, um, and, and a lot of different needs everywhere. But often, a lot of times, the first thing that people cut is training. Um, why is this a mistake? 
Well, it's really not an intentional mistake. It's really a resource, resource, resource allocation. I got to tell you, if you would have asked me how much I know about our public safety law enforcement back in 2006, 2007, 2008, I would have said, hey, we got a great police chief. We call 911, they come. I didn't know enough about them, but I got to tell you, after 10 years in law enforcement and public safety, I got to tell you, I have established unconditional love for the public safety men and women. I truly say that they, they give beyond the call of duty and expectation. Uh, that unconditional love they have for their community, it gives them the power to call themselves Magnus. I mean, take a look at it right now with COVID-19, when social distancing is encouraged, law enforcement, very public safety, very, very similar to the medical professionals, they cannot distance themselves with the community because the community wants them to still do their job. But unfortunately, they are one of those industries that we have somewhat failed to give enough resources. Uh, that's a question I've been asking myself. And part of the reason maybe because we got over 16,000 police department, we got over 3,000 sheriff's officers, uh, sheriff's officers. So it's somewhat uh, segmented. It is, it is fragmented. So the local communities got to support that. And when things go crazy, when you have to put gas in their car, when you got to give them resources and the budgets are low, guess what's, what they're going to give up on? They're going to give up on training. And when it comes to training, what do you think they're going to give up? They cannot give up training on particular skills that are needed. So they got to say, right. you know, put gas in their car, give them the skills of tactical they need, etc. And guess what they forget about? Not that it is intentional, they do not have enough money to invest in character building, leadership development, and, and building that, uh, or teaching human psychology and how you learn to retrain the neuroplasticity of your brain. Uh, they want it, but they don't have resources. And I think that's where we come in and we say, what can we do together? What can we, what, what can we do for you? Like, for example, we just offered a free class on, on how you strengthen your re resiliency and, and your anti-fragility. The class is coming on Monday of next week. We've had over 600 enrollments in it, and we are not going to charge for anything. So to build, to build those who to build and support those who are really giving back to our society, you can't always just charge for it. You just gotta go support them. So, so that's what we are doing. And I think that's what it is. They are not really ignoring it. They just don't have the resources and the funding to do it. Yeah, you make a great point. Uh, it's, I don't think it's, it's, not, it's not always the, the, the department intentionally just cutting training. It's Hey, you got to make sacrifices in some areas and perishable skills will go on, but some of the other aspects where, uh, you know, they just get cut. But one of the things that I do see that the National Command and Staff College is a trailblazer on is the fact that you're finding different ways of, of being able to, 
to make sure that training still has a place in organizations without a huge cost because a lot of trainings just have a lot of overhead. You know, sending somebody uh, you know, uh, to a, a fixed classroom that might be on the other side of the state could, could be cost uh, uh, inhibitive for some folks, but this e-learning has a tremendous upside in making sure that more people get this valuable information. Yeah, Brian, one of the things that we have learned about if you study the, the historical, you know, where we have as a, not only as a nation, as a world, you know, the last hundred years or the 200 years, you know, 300 years, uh, sometimes it takes a national or international crisis that, that we, we recognize that, hey, maybe we need to do things differently. Think about life before 9-11 and life after 9-11. What did we learn and what adjustments we have made? So, so you know, uh, Dr. Tablet wrote a great book called, you know, The, the Black Swan. And so the Black Swan uh, theory is based on the assumption that do we, are we training and are we planning, preparing for improbabilities? You know, what did we need to do one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago to be prepared for COVID-19? Well, the signs were there, but it seems like we didn't do much preparations. So, so I think as we think about times now and the power of e-learning, I think one of the things uh, we would learn during dealing with COVID-19 that maybe the model of always training in the classroom may not prove to be to be to be the only way that we should teach, particularly since it becomes expensive. You think about it, we said we've trained 16 million hours online plus another four in the classroom. If we would have charged one dollar for every hour of training we have done, we would have had 16 to 20 million. We could have charged, but we didn't because, because one of the values in our organization is, is a value of not being a nonprofit, not that we don't want to teach, but we have an we have a importance social contribution. It is our unconditional love for humanity and, and in this case, public safety. And then also recognize that the cost of training online is significantly less than training in the classroom. So I'm not advocating one over the other. I'm actually advocating that we need to do both. We need to move into more of a blended learning where the students could do a lot of the cognitive stuff online and then come to the classroom. It's not any different than me being in the College of Management and I would say to them, by next week, I want you to read these chapters, come to class because I'm not gonna read you the chapter. I want to do practical exercises with you in the classroom. So I think that's where we are going to go and the future, not only in law enforcement, but worldwide in all industries, I'm making a prediction that they're going to move into, into blended programs and blended education. Good stuff. I want to pivot back to 
the, the National Command and Staff College for a moment. Uh, what do you think the organization's best asset is? Our people. Our best assets are people like you. Uh, I sit down and I think and I reflect and every day I am grateful to God that he, he brought uh, a star performance like yourself to the company. Uh, at the end of the day, I am a type of leader to recognize that I didn't do it. I did not build this company. I was a facilitator and at the end of the day, I actually, as a leader, very similar to a spirit, the core of the Marines, leaders eat last. They want nothing for themselves. So, so I want nothing for me and I don't take any credit for, for anything. But what I take credit for is that, that having the envision, having the vision to start something that could attract people like you to want to come in and then give you the flexibility, give you the resources for you all to go do it. So our greatest asset is really our people. And truly, if you think about it in terms of leadership, we as leaders do not lead machines. We lead people. Mm -hmm. Our people are greatest asset. What is the greatest asset that we have right now in the world is our people in it. And those people, if they are given the right resources, if they have been not only influenced at times, but really, really inspired. And to me, my, my, my highest daily requirement every day as a leader is, have I done five things to inspire the members of the academy? And have we, as a, as a college, inspired our students and our commanders who are in our program? Because when you inspire people, you go after the heart. When you influence people, you go after the brain. And I think that's where the convergence got to happen. I think we got a lot of influencing going on at times and we forget about inspiring. So I'm inspired to have the people we have and I'm inspired that they inspire me every day. That is our greatest asset. Well, I'm flattered that you would say that about me. I appreciate it. I, I don't deserve that. I, I, at times I feel just that eager little puppy dog when I get around uh, a, a lot of our group because they are, they are inspiring. They, they, they have a, a very collaborative approach. Uh, they're, they're, they're connected. They're yes first kind of people. Um, I see it a lot like improv, uh, like a comedy improv. You know, no is the, the death of that improv. And when you say yes, and uh, I, I just see a lot, of, a lot of that happening around our group. Yes, I, I'd like to do that article, but, uh, and I'd like to do this project as well. And so it, it almost springs forward a lot of different action and it, it just really amazing things come from it. amazing conversations um, amazing thoughts. And, and it's just, it's, it's been a blessing to be a part of. Um, so Brian, I I, if you, I know you have read Abershoff's both books and when you read Abershoff's book, I got to tell you, he's one of those leaders that I have learned a lot from him. Uh, I have watched him. I have heard him speak. I have probably read Abershoff's book at minimum once a year 
his two books. And when you really read between the lines, he inspired the member of his ship to produce at a 20x capacity. So now let's say the, 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 there is a hundred and that hundred is producing not hundred times, hundred times, hundred, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's really a power of. So it's not hundred times hundred, it is hundred to the power of 100. That's where the inspiration comes from. See, inspiration is what is on the top of the equation, not on the same line of the equation, right? When you influence them, you are in the bottom of the equation. But if I can influence you by giving you the skills and I can, I can lead you in a direction, if I inspire you, I'm not taking you to the power of the equation. So 100 times 100 is very different than 100 times to the power of 100. And I think that's what we've done at the National Command and Staff College. And I think that's what we hear our graduates are telling us. And that's what we hear that our clients are telling us that when the graduates of the National Command and Staff College go back to their agency, they shock them because they are not producing 100 times 100, they are producing 100 times to the power of five, to the power of 10, to the power of the 20. And I think that's where we talk about how do you turbocharge for you to become a star performer, to go beyond. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I, the, the inspirational piece is huge. And I, you see a lot of times where people will go to a training They'll take their certificate, they'll put it up on the wall, or they'll take their binder when they get back to work and they put it on the shelf and it, it, it's, it just sits there. And I think that the difference in a lot of the trainings that I've, that I've seen firsthand with, with you and is, is just the complete opposite is people take that training and they're, they're just, they're, they can't wait to get back to work and talk about the things that they, they got to do and they get other people interested and excited about it. And it just, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. It's, it's, it's a lot of energy and, and I know it comes from a place of love and it's, again, it's just, it's, 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 it's infectious and, and I appreciate it. Let me, uh, so if I'm a listener today and you wanted to compel me to, to take some kind of action. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a public servant and I, you know, I have promotional aspirations uh, or I, you know, I want to do something more than what I'm doing today. What would you tell them? Um, what's, what's the first step for them? You know, uh, that's something I have been asking myself over the years in those early days they would ask me what do i do i would say go get a coach go read the six books go go attend this class or that class but through my own teaching and practices i i started asking a different question the first question i would ask you is start with a very very meaningful question and the question would could go like this do you want a meaningful life and I yes. would pause and I knew you would say yes. 
And then I would ask you the second question and I want you to pause and reflect. And it says, okay, so define meaning. Can you define what really means really to you? What does meaning really means to you? And I would ask you to take a few minutes, reflect, and then write your definition on a piece of paper. So I would ask a reflection question because in order for you to really want to understand what your next step for leadership is, I want to separate that from a job title and a rank. Mm. It's because I'm interested in that leader in you. I know it is there. I just want to activate it to elevate it. Now, you know, I, when I ask that question, you know what, the, what most people respond to? What's that? They define meaning by giving examples of experiences that gives them meaning. So they don't give a definition for meaning. They don't say what meaning of a good life means or what a meaning is. And there is a reason for that. Uh, it's because uh, they haven't taken the time to really disassociate examples in order to disassociate with an example. They have to have the courage to shift their perspective. And, and that, that paradigm shift is very, very profound, right? Because most people will view human mind through the prism that only enables three colors, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And I cannot blame them for that because even the field of psychology is colorblind for a long time. That is why most leadership theories focus on, you know, thoughts and behaviors and less on emotions because those operate at the conscious level, but not unconscious level where the, actually the character resides. So they are colorblind because they don't think of meta-motivation. So the first thing I would do through that interactions, I would want them to, to recognize that they are actually colorblind in the way they define meanings and they look for what good life really means to them. And if I can get them to really to say, okay, I got to look at more than what is that I have, what is that I do not have, or what is a good life to me, what is a bad life to me, you know, to really, really have that paradigm shift. And if they have the courage to go through that paradigm shift, now the need for change is actually internalized. And when a need for change gets internalized, then now you are taking ownership into what they need to do next. Because without that internalization, change and the desire to become more is not going to happen. Think about it. 12-step program. 
you can go to those 12 step programs. If you have not internalized the need for change, it's not gonna do anything. So if you don't internalize the need for elevating, turbocharging your leadership capacity, resiliency, and well-being, nobody else can do it for you. So you gotta get into what I call the meta-motivation of human behavior. So in doing that, what you are actually doing, you are going beyond thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. You add the fourth dimension that we call meta-motivation, which in the field of psychologists, people like Dr. Apter has done a great job with that. So what that is what actually Michael Abershoff did. Naturally, or through some training, he added meta-motivation to the worst Navy ship in our country. Believe me, before Michael Abershoff took over that team, that team knew that they are the worst Navy ship in the country. But they didn't know how to go beyond that because they couldn't, they were colorblind. And therefore they needed a leader who comes with those meta-motivation techniques, teach them the ability that not only they can turn it, but they can be a role model for the rest of the Navy and the military and the corporations after that. So that would be my next first step. Wow, that's good stuff. Well, I know Mitch, uh, on a personal level, I know you've inspired me to, 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 to do more good, to be good and to give good to other people um, every, every, around every turn that, that uh, life takes. So I, again, I'm, I'm uh, honored that uh, I have the ability to interact with you, to, to, to work with you on this podcast and that you gave me your time today. So um, thanks again for, uh, for the conversation. Brian, I'm really, really grateful. It was an honor. I enjoyed our conversation. Let me, let me leave, leave, leave a thought as a closing statement. You know, the word grit, uh, people talk about grit, that John has grit, Sally has grit, but people have a hard time defining what that grit really means. To me, grit is a positive non-cognitive trait that when it's combined with perseverance and passion helps you push through volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So you better have grit as a leader and you better be intentional about it. Resiliency is really, really misunderstood. Resiliency means the speed by which you recover from adversity. So think about how much adversity we are dealing with right now with COVID-19 in addition to everything else. So a resiliency of a leader at a personal and professional level is that how do we recover from this adversity, a speed by which we recover. Those two are well and they are needed, but without having the ability to understand the science of human behavior and human chemistry and be able to turbocharge yourself to be ready for it before, during, and after it is where we focus on. 
And I think that is an element that we don't get enough writing about. And I think that's where what I call the, the OVEA or the nucleus of leadership. It's truly an honor to be on this podcast with you. I always enjoy speaking with you. And Brian, I have learned a lot from you in the last 10 years. And I can honestly tell you that you are Magnus and you have not only inspired me, but you have inspired the members of our college. And with all your writings that you do and the speaking you do, trust me when I tell you this, you are also trusted, you are, you are inspiring our nation. And for that, I thank you. And I thank the listeners who would listen to this podcast that took the time and listen to an old man. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, Mitch. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to our show today. And as always, we encourage your feedback. You can provide that feedback at my email at bellis at commandcollege.org. As always, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Figure out who you are and be purposeful. Be well. Thank you so much for tuning into the Badgecast One podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with a colleague. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Statement and views on this podcast are those of the guests, and the opinions of the guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representation or warranties about guests or qualifications or credibility. This podcast is the product of the National Command and Staff College. Copyright 2010 to 2035. Any use of this without the express consent of the National Command and Staff College is strictly prohibited by law. For more information, email us at infocommandcollege.org. At